evening, church. If it's your first time tonight, good evening to you. If you are a believer, good evening to you. If you're not a believer, a very special good evening to you and welcome. Um, I was, um, in fact, we were, well, I was. I was working yesterday morning. I try not to work on a Saturday because that's our day off, Friday night to Saturday night. We tell that 24 hours and we have that off. But this week it's just been essential. And uh, I'm at, at, at the house, kind of working there, got there early, getting that ready. And I'm kind of, I'm taking that. Anyone, any wives in here who recognise this in their husbands or any husbands in here who recognise this in yourself, when you take that role of leadership of right you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing the other, and you just take control. Well, I kind of did a bit of that yesterday. I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, it just, just happened. I did a bit of that yesterday, and I'm like, right, Vicky, you've got to get down to the house, you've got to do this. Kids, you're doing this, forget your Saturday, you're getting no Saturday off this week, you're working. And I'm all kind of set, this is happening, this is what we've got to do, heads in it, and then I get a phone call off Eleanor, not even Vicky, saying there's a problem with the carts making all these funny noises and we don't know what to do and then I'm like oh you're joking I'm thinking oh no and then and then she's telling me that oh no it's okay mummy said the 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 tire's gone on the car it's got a puncture so I'm like oh okay so it's only half a mile away so I get in the car and goes and drives over there and the car's at the side of the road at this point and I'm looking for the tyre to see which tyre it is that's gone and it's the one on the on the on the near side on the side nearest the pavement so I'm like, okay, that's good. I can kind of get to it easily enough. And anyone noticed you don't get a spur wheel in a car anymore? Anyone noticed that? There's no spur wheel anymore. But they've come up with a great idea. You get this kind of green stuff that you put into it. The problem came when I went to put this green stuff into the tyre and realised that the set that we had in the car, and here's the thing, right? I always thought they don't give you a spur tyre because of space to give you more space in the boot. Well, that's not true because this car's got, it's got a, a tyre-sized space in the boot. So you lift it up and there's a tyre-sized space with a green thing in it of this like smeg stuff or whatever it is that it's called. So I get that out and I go to put it in and realise you can't do it on this one. You've got to take the valve out of the car and we've lost the valve, the thing to get the valve out. You've got to take the, sorry, take the valve out of the tyre. So we're then rushing around trying to find a screwdriver, managed to get a small screwdriver and get it out with a screwdriver. At this point, I'm feeling like, you know what I mean? Come on, man to the rescue, fixing it all, sorting the problem out, feeling really good about myself until as I'm doing it, and it was funny, but not at the time. This little, t anyone ever seen a valve off a tyre? The, the little thing that goes in that you unscrew to take out, they're like this big, the tiny little metal thing. And I screws it out and it came out and dropped on the floor. And guess where the tyre was? No word of a lie, over a grid. To which it goes down the grid. I'm like, you know, when you're looking at it and you're thinking, that didn't happen. I didn't do, I didn't notice, I did not notice that there's a grid underneath it as I'm getting it out. And you know when you ever want to go back in time, just rewind the clock, like 30 seconds, and notice that and kind of do it again. Anyway, we managed to sort it out, and, and, and in that moment, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that would make a great, funny kind of intro to a sermon, but what's the point of it? But here's the point of it. 
in that, if that moment had have happened 20, 22 years ago, right, I'd have been like going berserk, going crazy, like, ah, getting angry and what's gone on? Why is that happened? Why is this happened? Vicky's smirking as if to go, you still do that now. That's not true. I do not do that now. I'm a different person. Um, but I didn't. I didn't. In that moment, I'm like, it's all going to be all right. The sky's not going to fall in. Everything's going to be all right. We're going to sort this problem out. Whatever's gone on, we're going to fix it. It's going to be okay. Don't panic. Stay calm. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. And the point of me saying this is, that what? how is it that suddenly, I, or not suddenly, but maybe it'd take me 20 years to get to that point. Hopefully it won't take you 20 years. But how is it that you can change? How is it that you can suddenly be like that and, and, and have that different kind of attitude to life, have that different response to a situation, to a circumstance? How is that? What is it that causes that? Or what is it that stops that? And, and what, I, what I realized, and really it ties in with the sermon, that, or the, the message in this sermon, and it is this, it's your beliefs. It's your beliefs. Your beliefs. Jesus said, he said, God, in fact, Jesus didn't say it. Well, he did actually, to be fair, because everything in the Bible, Jesus said, if you understand, you know, theologically the Bible and how it all works. But in Proverbs, okay, it says this, guard your heart, because out of it flow the issues of life. Okay, what are the issues of life? What is it that, about your heart that causes that? Essentially, what that is saying is your heart, if you look through the Bible and you understand it and you study it, you realize that the heart is the seat of our beliefs. Your beliefs are held in your heart. In your heart, that's where they are held. It's not this thing that's pumping blood around your body. I mean, it may be. But I don't think that's what God's talking about when he says your heart. What he's talking about is the heart of the matter, the thing, the core bit, the bit in the center, the bit where your values, your beliefs, what your foundation principles for life are stored, they're held, they drive your life. And if you've got a certain set of beliefs in there, when you come to a crunch point in your life, they will drive your response to how you react to that situation. In, in situations, not very often do we sit down, because most of the time we don't have time to sit down and, and mull it over and think, hey, how should I respond to this situation? It's our beliefs that do it. If you've ever been in that situation where you've responded in a certain way and afterwards, maybe it's a great way you responded to a situation. Maybe you handled it really, really well, like me managing to get that little thing out the car. That was the good bit. I got it out. I was resourceful. I found the screwdriver. When I realized we didn't have the valve tool to get it out, I thought, no, we'll find a way. We'll make a way. We'll, we'll figure it out. That was the good bit. The bad bit was not noticing the grid at the bottom. But we, we'll, we'll kind of leave that bit for a moment. But that's what does it. That's what drives it. It drives your responses. You don't always have time to choose your response. And our beliefs, could we get the map up, Tracy? Our beliefs, okay, are a bit like a map of the world that you can see in front of you now, okay? Imagine them, you're going on an expedition, 
okay, to a, to a country that you've never been to before, a place that you've never been to before. And so when you arrive, I'm imagining a kind of rainforest experience. I'm imagining somewhere, I know Chris and Naomi like to go and hike up mountains and all of that stuff. I love that stuff myself. I'm imagining that kind of scenario where it's somewhere you've never been before. We're not on about kind of, you know, where, where there's a taxi driver you can get. We're on about you're out in the middle of nowhere, okay? And, and you've got to get to a place Anyone like Bear Grylls and all that stuff? I love watching all of that stuff. One of the things that he talks about is one of the, 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 the ways that people get lost when they're in a situation like that and something goes wrong is, or one of the things that they end up doing over and over again, and it's consistent that you find people doing is, they, the phrase, ever heard the phrase, walking around in circles? That's literally what people do. If they, when they get lost in the middle of the rainforest, if they don't know where they're going, they don't have a map, and they don't know where they are on the map and all of this stuff, they literally walk around in circles. They could be big circles, but they essentially walk around in circles because you think you're going in a straight line. But it's incredibly difficult if you've not got anything to navigate by to go in a, in a, in a perfectly straight line. So you tend to just veer slightly one way or the other, and that brings you around in a big, big circle until suddenly you get back to where you started and you get dejected. So how do you, how do you use the map? To use a map, you need a compass. You need to know which or something that's going to tell you which way, which direction you're traveling in. And the compass is, is the thing. So what you need to do is you need to find a, a landscape, find a, a, a thing that you can recognize off the map that you can go, I recognize that. Maybe it's a river, maybe it's a, a tree, maybe it's a bit of a hill or whatever. I can see that on the map. Then you need to figure out which direction you're traveling in. You need to figure out which direction is north. And at that point, when you know where you are on the map, when you know the direction that, you're, that is north or that you're traveling in, suddenly you can navigate yourself. You can use the map. And the map is life. The map is life. There's, there's situations in life that we're told are going to happen. You're told when you're young that you're going to need to get a job. You're told that, hey, it's a good thing to get married and maybe have children. You're told about some of the things you're going to need to do. You're told about work situations and life situations. That's the map. That's the map of life, the different scenarios and things that come to you. The compass is the thing that navigates you. But imagine if you didn't have the compass. Imagine if you didn't have a compass so you didn't know which direction you were going in. Or maybe even worse than that, imagine if your compass was faulty and what it was saying was north wasn't. It was actually north to northeast or north to northwest. So you thought you were traveling in a northerly direction, but you're not. You're actually traveling slightly off course. What's going to happen? You're going to get lost. You maybe even start to, to disbelieve the things that you've seen on the map, the things that people have told you are possible, the things that you maybe think that you could do with your life. Maybe you've been told, hey, one day you could own your own house. One day you could learn to drive. One day you could, your, your children might do this or, your, or this might happen or that might happen. One day you might get the promotion you're looking for. One day you might have that dream career or you might get to go around the world and you've believed that and suddenly it's getting further and further away and you start to disbelieve it you start to think I don't even think that thing's on the map I think maybe that's even a mirage maybe it doesn't even exist it is fundamental it is crucial that our compass is correct otherwise the map is useless it'll just discourage us it'll just tease us 
with possibilities that we can never ever get to because we don't know which direction to travel in. And, and what I want to do tonight, I just want to share with you some, some beliefs that have helped me. These are, are beliefs that, that are biblical beliefs. They're not, don't get me wrong, they're not a set of, an exhaustive set of every possible belief that, that you may need in life. There's a lot more than, I want to list seven tonight. Maybe more if we've got time, maybe less if we've not. I just want to go through some of these beliefs. There's more, there's many more that are helpful, but I believe for me these are some of the key ones, some of the ones that have really guided me and, and helped me to do things with my life. And, and the first one, the first one, is really, really simple. It's one of the marks and the signs of maturity. And it is this, it is that everyone is unique. We're all unique. We're all different. We've all got a different calling in life. We've all got a different purpose. There may be similarities. So I'm a, I'm a pastor. So I might meet another pastor and you could say, well, you've both got the same calling in life. Well, yes, we have. But even though we're both pastors, we're going to have slightly different tilts and slightly different congregations and slightly different goals. And, and God, God is the source. He's the source of your purpose, your calling, your direction. Where God wants you to get with your life, he is the source. But the key thing is, the belief that I want to really home in on is the fact that it's a view of the world that is different. Mine is different to yours. Think about this for a moment. When we had the smoke explosion, okay, the visual people, the people who kind of love things to look nice and they want to see the lights and they want to see it, you know, look great and all of that stuff. They're like, oh, some smoke in the corner. That's great. That'll make the lights look good. The singers, particularly the one who stood here, he's like, I can't breathe, let alone sing. Who put all this smoke in the room? What the flip is going on? Different worldviews, different, oh, not different worldviews, different views on the world, different outlooks as to what's important. And that's life, isn't it? We all have a different calling, a different gift. The musical people, for them, hey, the worship's got to be nailed. In fact, I see this running a church because there's tensions that you get. The worship team, they want to they just practice. They want just all the time in the world to get up here, to practice, to get the music absolutely excellent. They don't care, not literally, because our leaders aren't, our worship leaders aren't quite like this, but let's exaggerate slightly to make a point, because lots of worship leaders can fall into this trap. They don't care about the welcome team or the chairs, or maybe someone else needs to get in the room and so so they're like, no, forget all that. We do we need to do this. We've got to practice, we've got to sing, we've got to do this. Come on. The key belief is we are all different we are all unique we all have a different view of the world based on what our calling is but maturity recognizes that maturity recognizes that other people have different talent different mission different gifts different abilities and they're going in different directions it's not that theirs is more important than yours 
It's not that mine is more important than yours or yours is more important than mine. Some people can appear to be more gifted. I look at the keyboard player, I look at Josh on them keys, and I'm like, he's incredible. He does stuff on that keyboard I could never do. I, I, I probably could learn to do it, not as good as him, but I just look at it, I'm like, that is amazing. That is incredible. I'm in awe of it. But that doesn't mean he's any better than me. He may look at me getting up and preaching and think, I could never do that. That doesn't mean I'm any better than him. Different outlooks, different situations, different callings. God has created us all immensely unique. We're similar, yet we're different. Says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 7, says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, Regarding your question about the special abilities that the Spirit gives us. You see, I'm talking about natural gifts, but the Bible talks about spiritual gifts as well as natural gifts as well. And we have spiritual gifts, but even in the Bible, different gifts were given to different people in different measures for different tasks, for different things that they needed to do. It says, I don't want you Paul says, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, unbelievers say, you were led astray and swept along in worshipping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one, no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same spirit the same spirit we serve the same God we're on the same planet we have the same global calling even though we're doing different parts to it there are different kinds of service but we serve the same Lord God works in different ways, but it's the same God. Do you realize, do you realize that the way God treats me is different to the way he treats you? Do you realize the way God treats you is different to the way he treats the rest of the people in this room? Do you realize that? I've got five children. I don't treat them all the same. I treat them differently. I might discipline one because he needs it. I might praise another because he, not all the time. <laughs> right, you're the one for discipline. You're the one for praise. You're the one I'm going to give lots of gifts to and money. It doesn't quite work like that, does it? Hopefully, anyway. God treats us all differently. But maturity recognizes that. Maturity says, okay, God, what's my place? What's my position in this? Where do I fit in this world? It's the same God who does the work in all. Did you read that? In all of us. Not just you, not just me, but all of us. And a spiritual gift is given to... Can you see? It's up there, isn't it? To... This is your bit to say, really, if you think about it. A different spiritual gift is given to... Why? So you can... Hey, that worked quite well, didn't it? I didn't even plan that bit. I did underline those two bits in my notes. Second one. Second belief. I probably don't even need notes for this bit. Second belief is 
it is, this is the, the, the one that frees us. This one literally just loosens the shackles. It takes everything away. It means we can never fail. Literally, we can never fail. This is a belief that I have. I literally believe that I can never fail. Do I always believe that? No. Are there times when I think I can fail? Absolutely. Absolutely. But most of the time, I have this belief, certainly deep down in there, I know, I know deep down that God says I cannot fail. I cannot fail. It is impossible to fail. How do I know that? Simply this, the cross. The cross. It's the cross. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's mercy. It's God's unending, amazing love that he has paid the price for everything, every weight of sin. Do you, do you realize in the Old Testament, some of you will know this, some of you may not. In the Old Testament, right, there was a veil, a bit like these things we put up all around the room. There was a veil, a big, heavy, weighty veil. It was like this. It was really high up. It was really, really heavy. And inside of it was the Holy of Holies. That was where the presence of God dwelt if you wanted to go into God's presence, you had to go behind the veil. Some of you will know you couldn't just do that. You couldn't just go behind. You couldn't just go, oh, yeah, wow, the presence of God is behind there. Fantastic. Wow, that's amazing. That's so incredible. Wow, guys, you need to get in there. That is incredible. You couldn't just do that. You couldn't do that. Why? Because if you did, you could die. Absolutely, you could die. The reason being, not because God's just this horrible, horrible, nasty God, but simply because his, his presence, God's holiness, God could not abide with sin. You could not come to a, a perfect, holy God, sinful. So once a year, the priest would kind of cleanse himself and all of that. I don't want to go over this too much, but he would go in. But essentially what happened, and, and he, would, he would go in a little rope around him in case God struck him down with lightning because he'd have to pull him out because no one else could go in and, and, and go in there. He'd cleanse himself. He'd make sacrifices to make himself pure, to be in the very presence of God. It was a fearful thing to go in there. He must have been absolutely petrified. The cross, when Jesus died on the cross, says the veil of the temple was torn in two. We are free. We can walk into his presence. We are free. We don't need to cleanse ourselves. We don't need to, to go through rituals to make sure that we're, we're perfect or anything like that. We cannot fail if you have taken the name of Christ. He is the one and only for all, for everyone, sacrifice that cleanses all sin, the sin of the world, so we can just literally walk into his presence. Not only can you walk into his presence, you can go about your daily business, you can mess up, you can get it wrong, and you can go, God, I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord. And it's not so that we can go out and sin. It's so that we're free. It's so that we're not 
held down, chained down by the weight of sin. Imagine a huge ball on my foot and then it's pulling me down and I can't go to where I need to go. I can't do what I need to do because I'm weighed down by sin. By sin. But he's taking it all away. You cannot fail. It is one of the most powerful beliefs that you could ever, ever have. It never runs out. You can't overuse it. You can't abuse it. In fact, actually, maybe you can abuse it. You can abuse it by almost wanting him to be crucified again, it says in Hebrews. It never grows weary, never runs out. Never, never. It is always, it is eternal. It never gives up. You don't even have to understand it completely. Religious people will tell you, oh, you've got to understand all of that. You've got to know every single dot and every single I. You've got to be able to cross every T. You've got to know it all. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need to understand it. Great if you can. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't understand it. I I think I understand it better than I did. I think I'm getting better at my understanding of it. It's not a bad thing. The goal isn't not to understand it. The goal isn't to believe you've got to understand it to be able to use it. It's faith. It's by faith. Only once for all sins. One single universal sacrifice that paid the price through it all. We are free. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked. Think about that for a moment. Before God, everything is naked. We put on clothes so that we look decent, so we look nice, so we can hide the little kind of paunch that I've got there because holding it in isn't quite enough. (laughs) Little paunch, I hasten to add. Needs to be a bit smaller, but hey. Before God, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is to one, the one, sorry, to whom we are accountable. If that was the end, that would be a sorrow state of affairs. But it goes on to say this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. believe. To what we believe. This high priest of ours, not yours, not them down there, this high priest of ours, of your, when I said not yours, I didn't mean, not, I didn't mean you lot. Understands our weaknesses. I think, I think this next bit is amazing. It, 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 frankly, it frightens me. Frankly, I struggle to even repeat this. For he faced all of the same testings we do. All of them. All of them. The devil's told some of you in here that what you've done is unique. That no one else has done that. 
He's told you that you're worse than anyone else. That your sin is somehow, whoa, forget that. <laughs> what, you've done? Yeah, you've seen all them getting forgiven, but not for you, mate. You've got no chance. I know what you've done. Nah, you can't be forgiven. Come on. Is that what it says? Word of God. The word of God. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. You see, that bit is as important as the bit before it because if he had have sinned, what use would he be? It'd be the same boat as us. How can you go to a God to help you when he couldn't overcome it himself? But he did not sin. He was perfect. So he is trustworthy. You can trust him. You can go to him. You can put your life in his hands and he will, he will look after you. Every single area of your life. So let us come boldly. Shout it from the pulpit, screaming out, get passionate, get worked up, jump up and down, cheer, get excited, get full of faith. Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, for there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What a great translation on it. John 1, or 1 John, sorry, 2, 1 to 2. Vicky shared this last week. I, I, t I tell you, I'm, I sit there. Whoever's preaching, I'm making notes. Are you doing it? Are you making notes? Are you t yeah, come on, come on. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Let's get that clear. It's not, none of this is so we just go out and sin. I'm writing this so you won't sin. But if anyone does, I mean, Paul knew. Sorry, John knew we were going to. He knew we were going to. So, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Amen. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous, the one who is truly righteous, no other one. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. He's the scapegoat. You don't have to be because he did it for you. You can be if you want. I wouldn't suggest it. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. All of this is so that we know that we can never, ever fail. So that you know that you are free. You are free. Isn't that amazing? Third one. We are all created in the image of God. This isn't meant to be an exhaustive list. You can, I'm sure some of you will go, ah, oh, you didn't mention that, you didn't mention this. Well, no, I didn't, because I'm not mentioning everything. It's not time. Unless you want me to make it a four-hour sermon. We could, can't. Anyone wants to stay behind, we'll go on. <laughs> there are therefore no second-class citizens. No one's second-class. Now, here's the thing, right? He's made us all... In, his, in fact, let me read scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 25, following on from the first one. These link in really, really well. It says this, human body, it's got many parts, but those many parts make up the whole 
body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all, we all share the same spirit. Can you feel the thread running through all these verses? You, unity, oneness. Yes, the same body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. You, you know, anyone, anyone know anyone who's got really, really beautiful eyes? Me? Did someone say me? <laughs> Nate, oh, come on, mate. That was classic. That, did you see what he did? did you, he pointed at you. He pointed at you then. That's gold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him out for that. He pointed right at you then. So, so we've got a, a young lady in the front here with beautiful eyes, according to her husband. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's love, isn't it, right? Imagine, right, just her eyes. Like, just, like, one. Imagine one of them, just one big eye. Just, just literally just that, just one big eye. No eyebrow, no, no eyelashes, no, no, what did he, what's that bit of, the, what, the eyelid? I couldn't even think of the word there. No eyelid, no nose, no surround, just a big eyeball. <laughs> Is it still beautiful? You, don't, don't answer that, I'll answer that for you. Don't you answer that, you're doing so well. <laughs> you're doing brilliant. Don't just, you stop there. That was rhetorical. <laughs> That eyeball, I'm going to say, because if I get in trouble, that's okay. I'm always in trouble. <laughs> that, that eye ain't so beautiful anymore, is it? In fact, it just looks weird. One big, massive eyeball. I mean, it's like something off, what's that film, Monsters, Inc. It's, it's just like, you know what I mean? It's weird. It's odd. It's like, what is that all about? That's what Paul's talking about here. Not just one part. If the foot says... I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. Does that make it any less of a part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part, listen to this, just where he wants it. Or he did do. You may have moved out of that. Some of you have moved out of that. Some of you are like, I don't really want to be here. I want to be somewhere else, Lord, because I'm looking at them and I want to be that eye. I'm looking at that hand, that hand that plays that guitar. Wow, that's fantastic. I want to be that. I want to do that, so I'm going to go and be that. As if we all did that. It's one big hand. <laughs> it's floating, playing the guitar. It's as ugly as the eye, isn't it? <laughs> Not that your eyes are ugly. <laughs> Come on, come on. We are all created in the image of God. The truth is that we all have access through that to the same God because we're all part of him. We're all a part of that body. We're all in unity. We're a part of something greater, something bigger. Could you imagine if we'd all been put on our own planet just you on your own planet with no one else there, you'd be king, but you'd be a lonely king. You'd be really, really lonely. But we're all growing. We're all learning. We're all 
coming to find our position, to become better at it, to see better, to play better, to hear better, to speak better. All of those things. Number four, love. Love. Let me encourage you to love. Not to hate, but to love. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it associates God with hatred, with hating, encouraging us to hate, wanting us to hate. Bible says God is love. He is love. That is his very being. It is him. He doesn't be love. He doesn't go, oh, that's love that those humans down there have defined. So I'm going to be that because that's what they class as love. He's like, no, no, no. This is me. This is who I am. This is how I operate. I am patient. I am kind. I am long-suffering. I always believe. I do all of these things. That is love, because that's me. You live to my standard. Some people in the world, they want God to live to their standard. How's that going to work? Sounds like Hitler to me. Judging God? How do you judge the creator? How do you judge the one that made you? How do you do that? Without this, without love, everything you do is utterly worthless. Everything you do that is not in love, through love, all of those things is utterly worthless. It is a waste of time. You could spend years on something, years on something, growing your own little thing, your own little universe, your own whatever it is, and it will be an absolute waste of time. An absolute waste of time because God wants us in unity, in love. You know what I think separates us, the believers from non-believers and it is this I don't know of a believer and I'm on about a genuine believer if you know what I'm on about give me a little bit of encouragement an amen or something I don't know of a genuine believer that knows God that knows Jesus as their saviour that knows of the presence of God his greatness his awesomeness his love his forgiveness his grace every, all of these things I'm not on about imperfection but you just know of him you've, you've experienced him you suddenly you know that he's real you know that you're not alone you know that there's a benevolent loving God that cares for you. I don't know of anyone in that position, right, who would be happy, who would be made up to be, to be wrong, to suddenly have it pointed out to them, actually, all that stuff you're believing in, there isn't a God. All that stuff about a loving God that's for you, that loves you, that's forgiving you, that's protecting you, all of that stuff that you're believing, guess what? You were wrong. Is there anyone in here that believes that stuff that would be made up if, if suddenly you found out you were wrong? I don't know of anyone, any Christian in that position, right? But here's the thing, right? Because I've been in the other position as a non-believer. Some of you in here have too. Some of you can't remember not believing in God. But I don't know of a non-believer that suddenly finds out that they're wrong. That suddenly finds out that all this that I've been believing, that there is no God. I was wrong. There is a God who loves me. And they're like gutted about it. They're like, oh no, shucks. There is a God. Oh no. Oh no. This God, he loves me. That's love. 
that's because of love that's the difference between believers and non-believers the non-believers believe in the non-belief if that's a thing they believe in their non-belief because it's like oh that's what I believe not because they want it who wants to believe that at the end of your life there's nothing just darkness just blackness your life's over and it meant nothing because eventually they believe the whole universe is going to be gone in the end it's all going to implode on itself and the sun's going to consume the earth and all this stuff you're building all the stuff you're doing with your homes and your houses and schools and teaching your kids may as well not bother because it's all going to be burnt up by the sun eventually who wants to believe that anyone but I bet there's a lot of non-believers do in fact when I was a non-believer I was passionate as a non-believer I thought you lot were all idiots and me now like me now I thought I was an idiot but it wasn't because I didn't want there to be a God when I realised I was like oh my goodness I'm like what it's true he's real I'm like I want to tell everyone I want to go out do you know do you not realise there's a God it's true there's a God he loves you he's for you not to like rub it in people's faces or prove them wrong but because it's like so amazing Number five, faith, running out of time, faith, faith is the power, the kryptonite, it's like Semtex, you need the tiniest little bit of it, you have a little bit of faith, boom, you can do anything, you can do anything, faith, when that little thing dropped down the grid, Faith got it out. I got it out. We got it out. My son came over and he said, hey, Dad, why don't you do this? And we got it out. Fell down the grid, side of the road. Didn't help because we couldn't fix the tyre, but we got it out. <laughs> we'll get the tyre sorted out. That's faith. <laughs> I was watching Doctor Who. I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but I've slightly become one because I, I was curious as to what a female Doctor Who is like. And so I, I put it on to kind of see what it was like. And then our Eleanor came in, my 10-year-old daughter. So she's like, oh, what's this, Dad? So I said, oh, it's Doctor Who. It's a woman who's playing it. Come on, you might like it. So we started watching it. She enjoyed it. So it's like become a thing. Me and Eleanor watching Doctor Who together. We're quite enjoying it. But there was a moment in one of the episodes. I'm watching it because I love watching it with Eleanor. But I'm quite enjoying it, if I'm honest. <laughs> Well, we're kind of watching it and there's this there's one of the episodes the, the doctor like there's this situation and it's almost like she has this moment where she loses her faith for a moment she uses, loses her belief in her own ability of what she can do and then suddenly she's like hold on I can do this I can do this that's faith we can do it true faith comes from God it's not just belief for belief's sake. That won't stand. That won't stand the test. That won't stand the challenge. But faith that believes in God, in an abundant God, in a miraculous God, in the almighty creator God will stand any test, any challenge that faces it and it will succeed. Number six is prayer. I'm rushing through them a bit faster now. Number six is prayer. Prayer. And I'll just say this on it because of time. Prayer like this, that, hey God, 
if you can do it for them, what can you do for me? What have you got for me? It's the most powerful prayer I've ever prayed. I don't generally ask God for stuff, but I'm all asking for how, God, show me what I need to do. Show me how I do it. How do I sort this situation out? When you mix that with faith and belief, it's suddenly powerful. It's suddenly able to do anything. Moves mountains, conquers anything. And it is eternal. It's like forgiveness. It never runs out. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You already have everything you need. You don't have to ask God for it. You already have it. You might have to ask him how to use it or where it is or how you lay your hands on it or any of this stuff, but you don't have to ask him for it. You've already got it. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruptness caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort, make every effort, every effort to respond to God's promises. Come on, get in the middle. Come on, get over here. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone the more you grow like this the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but those who fail to develop in this way they're short-sighted the blind, they forget that they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, go on, you go over there. Work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. You may be different to those around you, but you are called and you are chosen of God. Do these things and you will never fall away. I want to say you will never fail. Then God will grant you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Come on, let's worship Him. Hallelujah. Come on, team. Let's give Him some praise.